For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers to his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into the vineyard. <clears throat> when he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing around, idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock he went out and finding, found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because nobody hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers, give them their pay, beginning with the last then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, These last worked one hour, and you have made them equal to those who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat? But he replied to one of them, Friend, I do you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose? To give this with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The word of God for the world. Will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks that when we sing and pray for strength for this day and hope for tomorrow and blessings ten thousand upon ten thousand that you have enough to share with all of us that there is no hierarchy of importance or significance with you. What a relief to be in a place where we are so accepted. So help us to remain in this place, trusting that we are all of infinite and sacred worth in your sight. As we hear this story, and may the words of my mouth 
in the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you this day. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the American movie classic, Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby, a young Ricky invites his mostly absentee, semi-famous, semi-professional race car driving father to career day. He's probably third grade at his school to talk about what he does for a living. The elder Bobby is quite a change from the parent who I think managed a Waffle House, was the one who came before and pretty much just said, well, you just unlock the door and that's about all you do, any questions. And in comes Race Bobby, the elder parent. And the takeaway for his son and for the whole third grade class is basically, if you ain't first, you're last. This was the best way to prep for a sermon. I got to watch this movie again. <laughs> and so Ricky takes this advice to heart as his dad speeds off kicking up dust and gravel from the schoolyard parking lot. As he grows up to become a world-famous race car driver, with this mantra literally driving him around the track towards victory, if you ain't first, you're last with some help from Shake and Bake. If you watch the movie, you know what that means. Of course, until the mantra doesn't work. Later in the movie, his world has fallen apart, and Ricky confronts his dad in an Applebee's parking lot, saying, I did just like you told me. If you ain't first, you're last. And his dad looks at him like, son, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense at all. He had no memory, probably because he was doing things that impacted his memory, of saying that. He said, son, you can be second. You can be third. Heck, you can even be fourth or fifth. If you ain't first, you're last. What kind of saying is that? And poor Bobby is left in the parking lot just standing there. Well, what am I supposed to do? And his dad says, well, that is the million-dollar question and just walks off into the night. So Bobby has to learn a new lesson about value and worth and where his place is in life and in community. And it's thanks to this movie that's 11 years old, if you can believe it, when I read the verse, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, I hear, if you ain't first, you're last every time. And maybe, in Jesus' infinite wisdom, that was similar to what those first workers to be hired were thinking in the story he tells to the disciples. Because it certainly sounds like they have absorbed that lesson. If you ain't first, you're last. When they showed up to be hired, to negotiate the daily wage with their landowner and get to work with someone they thought would just be a typical landowner, one they have dealt with many times before. For a typical landowner, budgets, for one thing, for the number of workers needed to complete a job. That person goes out once 
early in the morning to get the best, the strongest, the hardest workers, put them to work, and then just make sure they do their job. But this is one of Jesus' stories. It's a parable with twists and gotcha endings. And this parable is certainly one of those. We discussed on Tuesday, like we usually do, context. And we decided there's not a whole lot you can transfer from first century Palestine to 21st century United States of America. But attitudes and expectations around work and money are remarkably timeless. For at the end of the day, those 6 a.m. workers, and let's include the 9 a.m. because they probably couldn't show up without at least a cup of coffee. They show up complaining to the landowner that these 5 p.m. workers only work an hour, but they all receive the same pay. Now, if you're not in the 5 p.m. crew, who could blame them for complaining? But here's the thing. The complaint was not really about the money. It went deeper to what the money represented. It's about superiority, seniority, and privilege. You have made them equal to us. When these early workers were negotiating a fair day's pay, they thought they were only in talks for themselves. They didn't know they were setting the pay scale for everyone who would come after them. And so they objected so that the landowner would take their standard without so much as a heads up he was going to do that and expand it, drawing that circle wide, should we say, to include all who came after them. Everyone who worked for that landowner got the same pay, even those who got passed over by other landowners. So this, these poor people, they got set up for grumbling. They got the butt of the joke. Because this parable is about the kingdom of heaven. This is not a typical landowner story. This is a story about the way things are when God sets the standards. This parable envisions a world where all are able to enter the realm of God at any stage in life, early in the morning or when our sun is setting. As long as we're receptive to the Creator's beckoning call in all the ways it may come. How beautiful it will be. All people standing or kneeling or sitting together in heaven Maybe surprised at who's on either side of us, but not worrying about who's in or out. We're all just lost in wonder, love, and praise. But Jesus does more than just envision the wonderful hereafter. In this parable, he also exposes. So excessive is God's standard for just mercy that it violates our instincts of fairness and equity. It painfully unmasks all the presuppositions 
that all too often form the air we breathe and shape our lives to an extent we can't imagine anything else. The decision to pay the last hired first upended the traditional order of the line and the expectation of importance based on hours worked. The decision to pay everyone the same wage, equal pay for unequal work, draws its force from the reactions of those full-day workers and from us. If we think we're always deserving to be at the front or close to the front, if we're humble, and we receive greater recognition for our service because we've been in the field for a long time, longer than those other people. We're shocked at this display of just mercy that doesn't uphold our status or maintain our place in the hierarchy of importance that our society teaches. That's just the way things are. That's what Jesus' parables do. That's what this one does, exposes the fundamental metaphors that so often structure social relations between winners and losers, superiors and inferiors, insider, outsider, honored and shamed. It exposes an order that promotes competition, distinctions based on any ism, class, education, gender, income, and encourages us to pray, give me this day my daily bread, instead of the way Jesus taught, the way we know how that prayer goes. Give us this day our daily bread. In this parable, Jesus holds up an alternative. Whereas in the wilderness, everyone receives the necessary daily bread. That undermines old distinctions and competition that preoccupied the disciples and still preoccupies us. But if the landowner's behavior is like the kingdom of heaven, it points to a way of God and humanity living together in community where God is always seeking us out, never content to stay at home and just oversee the workers from far away. The image giver seeks out the image bearers so that we all bear the harvest of just mercy. Which means it's not up to these early risers, to those driven by first-come, first-served work ethics, to do all that work. They can't do it alone. That's why the landowner keeps going out to find more who are willing to work even if it's just an hour. Because the mercy of God is still ongoing. Which makes me think, well, who would the landowner have encountered looking for work so late in the afternoon? What kinds of people are the last to find jobs? Nothing in the parable suggests these 5 p.m. folks were lazy or irresponsible most likely they were unwanted. Who spends the whole day waiting to be hired but doesn't find work until there's just one hour left? In Jesus' day, it was the weak, 
young or old, disabled, criminals, folks with a bad reputation. So who's on our list in our day? Probably the same kinds of folks back in first century Palestine. Some other things are still timeless, too, I guess. But we need to expand it to include undocumented immigrants and their children, transgender folks, people who aren't quite ready to retire but who've been pushed out of jobs due to technology and advancement, positions who've been eliminated due to budget cuts. We could go on. But here is exactly where the kingdom of God shows up. The landowner envisions God's standards by purposefully going out and including the unhirable, valuing them for the work they and they alone can do in community, to expose just how far apart our standards are from God about the value and purpose of work, the people who do work, those who are unemployed or underemployed, and our own complicity in the systems that keep promoting some work over others. This parable doesn't really fix much, unfortunately. It doesn't solve issues of economic injustice, unfairness, but it does make us pause to consider, like the landowner, whatever is right. What is right? Not just for the people who are hired last, but also how the people who were hired first are connected to those who came after them. See, no one taught these 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. workers about just mercy, how to witness to it, how to see they can play a direct role in making it happen for others. What they thought was a landowner's dirty trick becomes the brilliant plot twist that exposes our human tendencies to put ourselves first and others last. But, and this is my favorite part, the parable doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with the complaint that the landowner denied privilege, superiority, and bragging rights for having worked the hardest and the longest in the scorching heat with no sunscreen or water. The landowner doesn't take away that daily wage, doesn't give it to those who only worked an hour, and doesn't toss those complainers into the dungeon to be tortured. No, the landowner calls the complainers, the whiners, friends. Here is the good news. It's the best news that even when we whine and complain that life is not fair, that God is not fair, that just mercy should be earned by people with papers and lifestyles and work ethics to prove they deserve it. God breaks those cycles of competition and comparison with a single word of grace, of relationship, and reconciliation. Friend. Friend is the name Jesus called his disciple Judas, who betrayed him in the garden. Friend is the landowner, name to those who cannot bear equal worth and justice for all. 
And friend is the name that God speaks over us, extending the invitation to relationship in Jesus Christ, who, though in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but humbled himself, becoming born in human likeness, calling all who entered into relationship with him friend, even the ones that made him be obedient to death on a cross. We don't get far reading scripture before encountering a God who practices just mercy, who's inclined to show special generosity to the poor and outcast, the stranger and the immigrant, who calls those in positions of power and privilege friend and keeps inviting all of us into a community of love that pursues whatever is right. So, beloved friends, may we, in our hearing and receiving of this word of just mercy, just go and do likewise. Amen.